I think it's really about collaborating with other individuals who are in our architecture and design industry. So it's about talking to an urban designer, looking at how we can utilize outdoor spaces, incorporating them into physical spaces that exist. I think we're going to have to change the structures that currently exist to make it more post-COVID friendly. I feel like offices have to be reimagined. So the questions are really, how do we create intimacy through technology? How do we create different types of physical spaces that incorporate the outdoors? And so I think it's going to take not just architects, designers to do it. It's going to take urban designers. It's going to take someone who's creating an outdoor environment to come in and talk about how we can implement different types of plants that will help with air quality. And then how do we have more accessibility to individuals that don't come from the same social economic background? In part two, we begin by covering Sarah's journey prior to starting her design studio, Functional Creative Design, working with industry luminaries, Rockwell Group, Tony Chin Associates, Perkins and Eastman and Grand Hotels, and her vision and focus which led her to starting her own studio. We cover a lot of ground in this episode. She discusses the importance of listening, fusing all input, and using her functional skills and knowledge to meet the vision of her clients. We discuss the state of sustainability in the industry, the need to take a 360-degree view, and the impact that COVID has had on sustainability, given the battle that many firms have had just to stay in business. Sarah explains her principles underpinning functional creative design and discusses how design will change in a post-COVID world, why the power and value of our connectivity will matter going forward, how intimacy can be created through technology, and how interior physical spaces will evolve to incorporate the outdoors indoors, and the need to deliver improved accessibility and social justice across all socio-economic groups. For anyone considering leaving their corporate job, Sarah's story will provide inspiration of what is possible when you reimagine and add value to a category. I hope you enjoy the vision and vitality of Sarah A. Abdallah. So over the last, let's talk about your work focus. Um, over the last 18 years, um, I think it's fair to say that you've established yourself as a, a leading thinker and creator um, of what, probably I'll use the term, holistically designed spaces and experiences. Um, and you've talked a lot about your psychology, your obviously got innate design talent and you've got a commitment to the earth and sustainability. You seem to fuse these all together um, around human-centric design principles. Um, You refer to it as, and I mentioned this at the beginning, as functional creative design. Um, Can you just expand a bit more about your practice and what that really means and the difference to maybe other architects and designers? Mm -hmm. Well, after working for over 20 years in the industry working for a lot of famous architects. And I feel like when I left the corporate industries, I really felt that there was a lot of missing. I was working on incredible projects. With incredible organizations. With incredible yeah. organizations, uh, working on multi-million, billion-dollar projects, developments. Yeah. And I, I learned a lot from the experience. Um I mean, from Tony Chi and Associates, you know, from the as a junior designer to working at Perkins Eastman, a famous architectural firm under Iran Chen, who now owns ODA, to like working in house as a director of design, you know, for Tony Fant uh, of the Soho and Tribeca mm-hmm. Grand, to you know working with Rockwell Group. Um, I mean, I, you name it, like they're all incredible mm-hmm. <laughs> companies. But I think. In the end, what I've 
what I realized is like the, their focus was designing beautiful place, spaces and mm-hmm. pushing out these products. And we are always under deadline. When you're a larger firm and you're lar- working on larger projects and you're under a deadline, you have less opportunity to be creative in, in, in other ways. Um, and I think it's really important when I got the opportunity at the time to work at uh, Noya House New York, um, I, I was brought on as a, I was a consultant on the mm. project with David's team. And I, I really wanted to bring an additional layer to not just to the space planning and the, the furniture and finishes, what we call FF&E in the industry. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? It's not just about placing sofas and locations. It's really understanding programs and how people maneuver, like what their habits are and how, how do people build habits and how do you take that knowledge and then layer it into space planning, right? Um, to create a final location mm-hmm. where things live in a space. And to be really thoughtful about it. And I think it's really important because all these touch points is a psychological, like it impacts you psychologically. And people come into a space and say, I love it or they hate it. And why is that? You know, I always ask, like, why do you go to this bar or restaurant and you're like, oh, my God, I love it. Or like, oh, my God, I'm never going there. And it's, and it's most of the time it's not about the food or the service. It's like something agitates them. And so, one, it's all the touch points. Like, from the very moment you walk in, is there something a physical or a person physically greeting you? Is that important as we move forward with AI? Mm-hmm. I don't know, right? Like, yeah. it, it's, these are questions that I always ask clients. Like, what do you want to be innovative and push boundaries? How do we give back beyond just specifying materials or um, low VOC paints or FSC certified woods? Like, how do we push beyond these these words, these certifications, and 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 really kind of dig deeper? The approach to design is important, but being a leader in the community, we have to ask these questions because developers and owners are not always asking these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's our position to push those boundaries. And I want an opportunity to be able to work on smaller projects with a smaller team so we can do those do that work mm-hmm. and, and look at those things in more detail. Like we're going to have a conversation now that Clubhouse is such a big thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, part of collective innovation with a, a group of actually individ- great individuals I met here through no- at Neuhaus, other colleagues who run their own businesses, mm-hmm. um, like Marcus from yeah. Design Hotels. And um, I have, you know, Chef Chloe, who used to be, she used to work at the Michelin star restaurant called 11 Mal- Madison uh-huh. on Thursday. We're having her talk about food waste food education and the impact. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be a really exciting conversation. And I think it's really important to understand, like, even something as small as that can be so impactful, you know, making a restaurant owner um, understand that collecting, you know, food waste could really impact globally mm-hmm. the environment. And it's it's really not about inventing the wheel. It's really understanding resources and collabor- and collaborating with other individuals who are experts in the field. And for me, I, I really value, I think a project is really more successful when you have more people and their expertise and knowledge uh-huh. that 
chime in or come in, you know, uh, different parts of the project? Certainly from being, I, I can attest to the fact that being a member here since 2013 um, and having left big corporate advertising, great offices at McCann, but to come here, immediately you could feel a sense of there's just an energy in the space. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about it now, puts in context the everything that I experienced here over the years and seeing the impact it had on fostering a sense of community, um, great collaborations that have sprung up because of the this the clearly the thought mm-hmm. as you're describing the thought that went into the design the psychology of how people move about spaces compared to places like we work that are just feel like cookie cutter. Mm-hmm co-working spaces and as co-working spaces have emerged over time you know I've, you know whether you look at a more club-like place like Soho House or Norwood Norwood mm-hmm. um, that I'm also a member of here or the hospital in London mm-hmm. they all have their own unique characters totally but there is something that's enduring here in terms of its its people as well as the the functional design of the space mm-hmm. lead it to being something quite special that whenever any client comes in or any guests for the podcast come in they go wow this place is incredible yeah and there's, I think and even if you look at the other night house in LA, in LA mm-hmm. they're different totally but there's a similarity yeah I mean I think there's an ethos to like the approach and I think it really I think the success of like Neue House New York and LA mm-hmm. was it was it was a lot of a lot of individuals coming together, you know, is it was David, you know, it was it was the team, you know, it was uh-huh. you know, Michael Saporin was the architect on the project. I was the you know lead designer on the pro- both projects, and there was the clients' ideas, and you know, it was literally there was there was a lot of people who were involved who are who are pushing the conceptual ideas and the programming out and uh-huh. I think I think it's again it's like it's not one person it's it's a group of individuals who are coming together to create a special space uh-huh. yeah and um, I think a part of it is also ensuring that things are functional like when I got onto this project specifically um, uh, Josh Abrams wife Christina Azario had a, a really great eye and you know she had some a lot of ideas and those ideas you know I had to kind of educate some part of being a to have a successful business and have a successful uh, project and generally you have to educate clients what what's doable and what's not and because she came from a residential background you know a lot of things that she wanted to do was not viable Mm. you know like there's standards in the industry you know things have to be fireproof things have to have certain amount of double rubs you know for hospitality space for things to last like this leather you know is a hospitality grade leather you wouldn't typically use it in a resident residential experience but the reason it looks so gorgeous Mm -hmm. still is because it's treated in a certain way to keep this aesthetic right Uh and so part of the functionality is not just programming and understanding habit building how people react but also all the way to the materials that you're specifying and how um these custom sofas are built the structures are built so it's durable that hundreds of people get to sit on it uh-huh. not just one person um but 
again, it also makes an interesting project because you have somebody else coming from a different perspective, um, like Christina, and, mm-hmm. and her inserting her comments. And I think a project is successful when you're listening to everybody and trying to see how you can fuse everyone's input together. Um, and then also looking at the client's vision. How do you, because it's not your project, it's their project, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like really taking your knowledge base and fusing it with their vision. Mm-hmm. Um, on the environmental well-being question, I mean, we we know that, that our environment whether whatever anyone's belief is, whether it's man-made or it's a natural sort of progression, the environment, um, <laughs> the environment is under threat on multiple fronts. Um, and you've talked about sustainability being at the core of your design model. Um, you've got um, certification um, in the acronym LE. Lead. Uh, lead. Yeah, yeah lead. Uh, leadership in, in, in energy and environmental design. You've worked at some of the leading um, design studios and architects firms um, and practices. Do you think the industry is moving fast enough to offset the damage? Um, albeit not every industry is responsible. It's the fashion industry, the, the oil and gas industry, but your industry is, as well have a role to play in offsetting the potential damage to our planet and embracing sustainable products that can then play its part in helping us get to some form of like net zero emissions. What's your perspective on where the industry's at? I don't think we're doing enough. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're moving fast enough. And I think a part of it is, one, is a lot of people at like current pandemic mm-hmm. are trying to keep the doors open, you know? And so part of it is like, how do you continue to be innovative and do things that are supporting the environment versus how do you how do you kind of feed the horse right like Mm. so there's a balance that has to be created um yeah we we can do more we absolutely can do more and is it happening fast enough no do you think covid has had an impact on the let's say the acceleration of change that may have been underway in the industry 100 percent. is that because of the the desire to cut costs and find more affordable materials because budgets have been cut or what is it I mean, I think I think it's a, I think there's a, a misnomer. It's like I think it's not just about like uh, finding like, uh, affordable local materials that offsets you know the impact to the mm. environment. It's much more than that. It's like finding cost-effective like builders. Um, I think you know some people went out of business, right? Mm. And so, like for me, a full 360 view of sustainability is not just specifying you know, uh, environmentally friendly materials. It's really about including uh, individuals who are like hiring a local contractor, hiring a a local artisan who's going to make the metal, all the metal details in in the physical space for the millwork. Um, When you're integrating humans in the end, that's really a full view and sustainability it's not just the impact on the environment it's Uh also impact on the humans locally so if you're building a project in mexico or another country like egypt you should be hiring local artisans to build components of that project Mm -hmm. um and i think it's harder to find those individuals after or during the pandemic people are sick people 
people have gone out of business. So it's really kind of then rebuilding a network. So you're, you have to also taking a time to see who, whose doors are still open. Mm. I've had lots of different conversations with a lot of bigger architectural firms, and they've made huge cuts. Yeah. And I think they're also taking they, they had to they are taking more time to to pitch projects, right? So I think the fo- our focus has shifted. Um, I think we're going to circle back, and th- that will be a focus. But I think it's important to be okay with the process. Mm-hmm. I think it's a process. I, it's always in the back of my mind how where how can we implement it, implement different or educate the client differently so we can Im- impact the environment. But I, I just I think there is a greater need for survival mm-hmm. for some companies. I would have thought that um, you would have, I would have expected that as a result of COVID there would be a more of a likelihood for when you're talking about not just the materials but for the sourcing of the um, teams and human talent and skills. It would become much more hyper local just because of the inability to travel. I think that I'm it seeing, might lead yeah. to the offset some of the things you've talked about i mean i'm definitely seeing seeing more of that executed well in the um in artists Uh like people who are doing fine arts like i'm seeing like unique ways to kind of grab onto like what the social movement is Mm -hmm. creating interesting art that really kind of grabs people um that then that gets grabbed by like the new york times and gets published you know by a local artist um yeah, I mean, you, you're seeing in some innovation where people are taking the plywoods that were used to cover up, like, mm-hmm. you know, facades all over, you know, the city um, during the kind of like almost riots, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and um, re utilize to create, you know, outdoor dining experiences. Yeah, Bill Dowser and his team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, besides that, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of other innovation outside uh-huh. of that. Okay. But I, you know, there it might be happening. I'm just not aware of it. Mm-hmm. Just as an aside, before you mentioned about food sustainability, um, there's a there's a group set up called Too Good to Go. Oh yeah, I don't know if you know them. No, you should check them out. It's uh, it's mainly given for um for for restaurants and food stores mm-hmm. to be able to go on and put mm-hmm. stuff that's uh, that's going past sell by date. So I don't know if it extends to restaurants, but it's a really interesting app. Um, and I think it's creating affordable, purposeful, sustainable um, for food security. It's a ni- it's a nice app. Oh, and yeah. It's fairly new, so it's I would check food, it out. Food produce. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's it. There, too good to go. Oh yeah, I did. I did. I just downloaded it because I was very curious. Yeah, yeah. So, I think it's really great. Also, I mean, I've spoken to quite a few restaurateurs for a project I'm working on uh, in the West Village called Back the Neighborhood. Um, trying to look at how do you do hyper-local urban regeneration. And a lot of the restaurants there have been saying, you know, we we don't, it's not formalised, but we have a system in place where homeless people come along. We know they're going to come along at the end of the night. We make sure we give the food to them rather than waste because they are increasingly conscious of the fact that, you know, they're, they're the impact of food waste on the environment. It's huge. It's really But huge. I do think that yeah. um, more of a, a formal process to create more of a circular food economy would be better. Totally. To help help restaurants and, and businesses ensure that they're we're working in all aspects of how we can minimize our 
other the, the negative externalities on the planet? Well, I was talking to Chef Chloe, who used to have a cafe in Greenwich Village, uh-huh. who I, she'll be our guest speaker on Thursday. She was saying that a lot of mom sh- pop shops around just like different neighborhoods should mm-hmm. get together and have the same vendors. Yeah. That alone will reduce like the carbon footprint. Uh-huh. And also they can get better prices. Exactly. On, yeah. yeah. So just even something as simple as that, we're mm-hmm. not doing. Um, and it would really impact be a great impact on the environment yeah there's a lot of work to be done i had a meeting with um the greenwich village and chelsea chamber of commerce oh, cool. uh, last week and talking to them about the initiatives that could happen by bringing together small independent businesses together to form collectives by right. buying groups that's right and cooperatives I to increase it. their power against the likes of the amazons and there's a shop in nyc which was of a female founded group out of brooklyn mm-hmm. are now doing hyper local uh, online sales to help local independent stores compete with Amazon and do same day delivery, and they're paying twenty five dollars an hour for their delivery teams. Oh wow! And employing um, more sort of um, encouraging black owned businesses to be on their platform. Please share it with me. It's really cool. There's yeah. some really interesting things happening, so I think it's encouraging. Yeah, but um, I want to answer one question that you did answer, but mm-hmm. I didn't answer it. <laughs> you asked me why functional creative design. Yes. Yeah, and so. After a lot of back and forth and I'm working with a brand strategist mm-hmm. in the very beginning when I started. So I started the company back in 2014 while I was still working at Rockwell. And um, I would have one or two clients a year, you know, nothing big. Just, you know, people would ask me to say mm-hmm. yes and I would do it. And, um, and, and I started getting bigger projects, so I decided to formally get an LLC. <laughs> and then I was like, well, what am I going to call it? So I called it my name, but then I didn't want it to be, I, I decided on a DBA, doing business as, and I wanted to think about what was the most, what are the core elements were important. The function, functionality is a lot of, there's a lot of designers in the industry that don't always think about the correct function of a space like mm-hmm. i would go into a bar and the bar stools are slightly sm- like shorter than they should be or that the counter is a little bit higher and i'm like why is that the case like these are standards in the industry and so i would get really frustrated and i was like okay i when i do this i want to make sure that all all those small details are are correct mm-hmm. and that the space is truly functional that no one would like would literally sit with ease and grace mm-hmm. at a bar, for example, right? Um, and and I feel like there are so many interesting design solutions that you can come up with, but like a lot of people do copy paste. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like there's Pinterest, and then you uh-huh. like look at uh-huh. other. Nobody takes the time just to sit and think like, what's the next uh-huh. thing, right? Like how do we push beyond boundaries that currently exist here? physically like what what can we do differently and so i wanted to do that mm-hmm. through the work that we're doing okay you're um uh, you've mentioned on your site that you're often asked to reimagine redesign and re- recreate sort of pushing as i thought the term you use <laughs> yeah. pushing beyond boundaries yeah in a post-covid world um it's clearly this is going to take on more urgency as we have to reimagine mm-hmm. spaces whether they become 
midtown Manhattan turning the corporate offices into more collaboration spaces to encourage engineered serendipity and um, or even just bringing people back into offices as many big organizers seem to want to do just to get people working again things need to be rethought through because we're not going to go back to what the normal was there's going to be some form of new normal you know how we travel how we con- congregate in spaces how we encourage that community place all of it is going to become more complex um individual well-being has to be at the center of it but our collective well-being has to be as well um what trends are you seeing emerging or what are you beginning to think about in these moments as you say to take time not to just look at a pinterest board or because totally. it is this is about blue sky thinking mm-hmm. and to come up with That's solutions right. that will create spaces and places that have never existed before That's right. which is really exciting yeah. but at the same time it must be challenging for people like yourself in this in this area mm-hmm. i think it's really about collaborating with other individuals who are in our architecture and design industry right so it's about talking to an urban designer looking at how we can utilize outdoor spaces incorporating them into like physical spaces that exist i think we're going to have to change the structures that Mm. currently exist to make it more post-covid friendly i feel like offices have to be reimagined i think we're seeing even though we're here I think people are still hesitant, right? Mm -hmm. And they will continue. We have to think, how do we create intimacy through technology? Because I think no matter what, what we've learned, AI is taking over, technology is taking over, and thank God we have it because we would be really disconnected otherwise. Um, And so the questions are really, how do we create intimacy through technology? How do we create different types of physical spaces that incorporate the outdoors so we can circulate more fresh air? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to take not just architects, designers to do it. It's going to take urban designers. It's going to take someone who's creating an outdoor environment to come in and talk about how we can implement different types of plants that will help with air quality. And then how do we have more accessibility to individuals that don't come from the same social economic background? Yeah. And I think it's really time to talk about those things. We're lucky because we can be part of this private, you know, uh, co-working collaborative workspace for creatives. Mm -hmm. But not everyone has that. And so we need to really think beyond exclusivity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the challenge of cities that have gentrified Um, to a large degree like New York and other and also big cities like London as well where the likelihood of being around people unlike yourself was becoming less frequent which obviously leads to lack of empathy lack of understanding appreciation of diversity so building back more diverse community spaces I think is really going to be important for um, people in roles like yourself yeah, it's definitely it's definitely important. If you, even more so now when we're dealing with not just the pandemic but race issues. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's sad that still an, it's even an issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I feel like we've been going backwards in so many ways. Um, but it's I think it's really important to talk about social justice and social impact mm-hmm. and 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 creating these unique ways to address them. You you talk about the importance of storytelling and narratives in your work how do you weave these subtleties of 
what's actually happening in society into your into your work so through storytelling i mean so it's interesting i don't really say it it's not in your face yeah uh, and i think it's it's really about incorporating like if there's a local artist uh-huh hiring them to do all the artwork for like a guest room all the guest rooms mm. you know and and then through their work mm. because it's a, a you know this artist is black or latin or yeah. a person of color they get to then have a say and conversation through their art pieces oh that's interesting all right yeah mm. and so i think for me it's about pushing the uh, owner or the brand of a hotel for example or if a nightlife per, um, space, and say, why don't, instead of just having art, let's uh-huh. make sure that it's impactful as part of the brand story. Let's hire this person, and then they get, you know, this uh-huh. up-and-coming artist then gets to get pushed up, you know? And then, I mean, I haven't had the opportunity to then take a project and push it through in that fashion where it's really threaded through the entire project. Mm. That's going to be really exciting going forward, though. Definitely. Of what the, the, I think this is the opportunity that COVID is actually going to create. That's right. Is um, a canvas, an open canvas for new diverse thinking and diverse thought. There's a great place in the West Village you should check out if you haven't been there called Far Place 409. Okay, no, I haven't. Which is um, formed by um, three um, young millennial um, founders. One guy from the, uh, the NYU interactive team, um, that course that you do, the... Uh, I can't remember the acronym for it, but they're on just off on uh, Broadway. And uh, Emily Bod- uh, Bogner, who's the, one of the founders, she was a, a the stylist. And then the other partner is in technology. And it's a really cool space that's reimagining how what a community uh, fashion retail outlet is mm. in the West Village. Really cool. If you want an introduction, I, I, I was in, interviewing her recently. I would love that. Um, I'm conscious of time because um, we were had to move rooms a few times. Yeah, okay. Um, to remain relevant, you've got to remain on top of trends. How do you actually manage to do it? Um, just a lot of reading, a lot of now clubhouse mm-hmm. conversations. There's a lot of uh, during the lockdown. There was a lot of conversations with different like Interior Design Mag was having mm-hmm. lives. Just like being involved in every. Um, every opportunity on on entrepreneurship, leadership. Um, I think for me, just like as a child, um, I think it's really important to uh, be interested in in different subjects. Mm. To be relevant for trends, Mm. you have to understand where other individuals are coming from, from other areas, right? And so I really get myself involved in every conversation. Like now I'm reading about cryptocurrency because people are talking you know Uh i think it's all interesting and you never know how that kind of implies or it gets implemented in Mm -hmm. any way in a physical space true yeah okay what's your hope for the future of cities like new york Mm. more nature more nature Yeah, because I, I I was intrigued when you were talking about the creating more outdoor spaces indoor the integration of the two i think that's fascinating I literally imagine retrofitting existing buildings in the city mm-hmm. and incorporating more like open parks, like the area where it's part of the the sidewalk, where people can you can kind of niche a piece oh. from your facade and it's like inset into the 
the front of your building with like a beautiful built-in bench with all these greenery, maybe a place to plug in or get random Wi-Fi, really giving back mm -hmm. like through technology, through and nature. I, I think it's all about restructuring the existing buildings. Are you working or have you worked or spoken to the guy that's developed that? Uh, he was working at Stanford. It's called um, the um, Neighborhood OS Operating mm. System. No, I'd love oh, to. Oh, okay, we'll talk about that separately okay. afterwards. He's doing some really cool work okay. about exactly what you're saying. Oh, amazing. Um, yes, please. I would love that. I mean, that's literally what I dream of. Yeah, well, this, <laughs> you're, you're going to like this. Um, you mentioned AI and machine learning is coming. Um, how are you as a business in Bray trying to embrace that and use and embrace it or to um, utilize it to improve the spaces in which you're designing? I mean, we haven't done much of it besides, you know, we we use like normal technology like mm -hmm. CAD and 3D Max and Rhino, but we haven't utilized like BMI, for example, the building information modeling systems mm -hmm. to like make it more efficient to b build a project. I feel like I was just talking to someone just recently, I think two days ago, regarding this. There's so much new technology that really can help the environment by reducing waste and building a project faster. But not everybody in the industry knows how to utilize that. Like you as an architect or designer can mm -hmm. have your team do it. But when it comes to the implementation portion, you have to then have a team that knows how to implement that okay. using that technology because uh, part of what you do outside the podcast is web design and a lot of the time you learn from what you're doing we talk about human-centric design as well mm -hmm. um is you look at um hot spots and heat maps of how people navigate through a digital space yeah you understand that are we going to get to a stage where people like yourself and architects can look in real time and see how people are moving through oh it's happening already so you're taking if, if, things yeah. like wi-fi people connected to Wi-Fi and seeing how they move around spaces. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to office space, yeah, yeah. I think that technology exists and it's already happening. I think if you have a brand like a WeWork, for mm -hmm. example, they already had that technology. They were observing people moving within their space, and then as they were building new spaces, they They're were adapting it. They were adapting it. That that for, is for, for a fact. That's really interesting. That, that has happened mm -hmm in the past and that's how they were able to grow so fast and implement things but yeah. i feel like the questions really are what is going to shift in office space how are people going to work in an office setting will office spaces remain what is the growth and the physical aspect of the space going to look like i think we're going to have to rethink physical space in general because people want more space between each other for safety and um so does that mean people have to get bigger spaces? Um, I think more people are going to remain working from home part-time, mm -hmm. and I think that's going to be the case for the next five years. Um, and yes, technology helps us understand how physically people like move throughout the space and we can make adjustments accordingly. Mm -hmm. um, there's also like uh, Alexa that can get incorporated. And instead of calling the front desk, you're like, Alexa, you know, tell... You know, the front desk, I need this, you know. Yeah. Turn off the air conditioning. Exactly. Yeah. It's too noisy. <laughs> I, I think also just um, 
for me, we're we're at um, an inflection point in society that we the problems that need solving in society are so monumental. We need some form of accelerated innovation. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we need more diversity of thought. We need more playful environments where people can unleash their imaginations and their creativity, tapping into their curiosity. 100%. So for me, the urgency is um, whatever whatever that new normal is, it's got to be appreciating the need for people to have safety and security, but at the same time using this as an opportunity to bring diverse minds together in a way that's never before been imagined or possible because Mm -hmm. of the traditional structures Mm -hmm. and business models of businesses. So I think the real opportunity here is to get people like yourself with other thinkers in organisational design, Mm -hmm. uh, innovation planning together and say, what can we do together? This never been done. So I think it's the new collaborations for me are important. Maybe that's going to come from the likes of Clubhouse. I mean, I'm quite liking it. But I think the it's through conversations like this we need to say, okay, well, how can we reimagine not just a physical space, but how do we solve the problems that need to be solved, which are whether it's sustainability, <clears throat> whether it be... Um, how, what's the future of how people, how can we accelerate the move towards electric vehicles? How can we reimagine city streets, mm-hmm. neighborhoods, cities, inter, you know, state travel? whole number of things all have to be complete. Uh, they're up for grabs. I, I think that's what's really interesting. I, I mean, that's really exciting for me when mm-hmm. I hear you say that because when I started my company, I, 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 I decided it, it was going to be more virtual, like my team was yeah. going to work more virtually. It's I didn't have to physically have an office space. We would meet once a week mm-hmm. when we had a bigger project. And I also believed in collaboration. So I actually did approach multiple like medium-sized firms that did similar work and say, hey, can we collaborate on projects as you're getting things or if uh-huh. I get things, vice versa. And I got a lot of pushback because a lot of those individuals were older, mm-hmm. older thinking. That yeah. it wasn't a, it was about the me parade mm-hmm. and it wasn't mm-hmm. <laughs> about collaboration. They're like, good luck, let me know how that works for you. Yeah. Literally, I was because told that that's the way the world worked, and everyone yeah. had their individual fiefdoms, and the business model was based on accumulating more clients and more totally. personal kudos. Exactly. Yeah. But um, I've been thinking this way for over mm-hmm. more than six years, and I got a lot of pushback. But now, after pandemic, you know. It's yeah. like it was easy for me to kind of just move forward and just get clients and because our everybody's virtual, I can have resources mm-hmm. and work with different. Our teams are in different cities and sometimes some overseas, and so it's easier for me to really get the greatest talent. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to specifically be in New York, and I think it's important to remember that we are all interconnected, and if anything, that we're walking away knowing that you know after during this Mm. pandemic that literally we all had to deal with this that we are all literally connected we're having the same experience Mm. and that we live in a global environment yeah okay before we get to the quick of our questions where do you want us to (laughs) where do you want us to be in by 2030 where do you want to be oh i i mean honestly where i want the world to be Mm. is with gratitude and a lot of love in their hearts there's no hatred we're not talking about racism because it doesn't exist, uh, that we've solved this environmental issue and that, you know, we all are, you know, 
have zero waste, mm-hmm. that we've figured this out, that we can continue to live in a clean environment, and that we're living more happily in, in the world, mm-hmm. and we're just giving and collaborating as a as a community of humans yeah clean food clean water and clean environment that's what we have to strive for that's right and certainly that's with right. Uh, the the summit the yeah. in glasgow uh, that's, that's right. happening in november there's going to be a lot of interesting conversations there okay quick five questions what principles do you stand by principles um treat treat others how you want to be treated um always think don't always think, you know, if, if something is confusing to you, like th- um, feel it mm-hmm. from your heart center. Um, just I always, no matter who I encounter, even the dog walking past me, it's like I'm always approaching that that th- that sentient being or mm-hmm. person with love. No matter if I, I know them or don't know them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Look forward to when you walk past Donald Trump from the street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's a little edit. harder when somebody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what hard choices have you had to make that may have been tough at the time, but did turn out uh, to be the right decision? Mm. I mean, um, going to grad school with like five hundred dollars in my pocket. Mm. And uh, working, you know, a retail job and a GA shop and an RA ship and literally working four jobs while I was doing my master's was one of the hardest things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that kind of put me in a different trajectory. Like, I was living in New York City and getting to connect with incredible humans I would never connect with. The only reason I landed my Tony Chi and Associates project uh my yeah. position there is because I went to a party in the Lower East Side. My my friend Khadr, um, who's a Sudanese architect, invited me to this party and was like, you must come to this party. Uh, it's a bunch of, you know, Harvard grads that he went to school with. So I went and ended up meeting a colleague, a friend of his, mm-hmm. and he was working at Tony Chi and so ran There you go. Yeah. Serendipity there. That's it. <laughs> That was a serendipity in your life. Yeah. Um, well, I asked you about new ideas, where you go. Um, you read a lot of books. Is there any other place or space you go to discover new ideas? Oh, I mean, all I did is travel. I love mm. traveling. I have gone to over 30-plus countries mm. worldwide, and I hope to continue that you know, mm. after this situation. But literally, that drives, that encourages me, like, just I went to a lecture here and when uh, we first opened um, at Neue House, New York, and Paul Smith was speaking. I was so excited. I love his energy. I was there. You were there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he's like, I hate when people ask me where you get your inspiration. <laughs> and and I really, I when he said this, I was like, yes, this man read my uh-huh. mind. Like, literally, there was inspiration all around yeah, you. Yeah. And that's like when I travel and I look around, I see details in nature, uh, the patterns in a market, the spice market in, you know, in Cairo or the, the mm. gold sag like area. Like I just there's just colors and textures everywhere. And so it's just really about opening your eyes mm-hmm. and just seeing the world in a different way. Yeah, totally agree. Looking up from your phone. That's right. Um, <laughs> as simple as that. Um, talked about problems that need solving. What is the one 
biggest problem, big problem that needs solving from your perspective? I think it is learning how to love another person. I really do. I really, if, if we really truly just loved every single human on earth, no matter who they are, mm-hmm. I feel like everything else is solvable. Yeah. Really, I feel like if, if we literally can see each other as mm-hmm. human to human and we can really connect through the heart center, I really mm-hmm. think that we can mm-hmm. solve literally anything. There's a, there's a great book, I'm, well, I'm not quite finished it yet, um, by Rutger Bregman. Okay. I don't know if you've no. uh, read any of Bregman's work. No. It's brilliant. Um, the, Utopia Manif- the Utopia for Your Realists um, is worth reading first. And then okay. his latest one, uh, which is called, it's called Humankind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all, he looks at it, um, the world, and takes basically, so there's two fundamental conflicting theories of humanity. It's either the Hobbesian theory mm-hmm. or it's the Rousseau theory. One is that civilization makes us evil and bad and mm-hmm. corrupts us. The other is that we're born that way. Mm. And he uses, he's a historian, <clears throat> Dutch, but he's brilliant. And he goes into all the research and really comes down to virtually where we are today and mm-hmm. where we're moving forward to. And I won't spoil it because okay, it's really, yeah. really, really, really good. I gotta read it, yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the need for us to love those around us after all we are all connected yeah um, and stop thinking of the other dis- disconnection right? yeah yeah um if you had a dinner party um <laughs> cooking from those me- memories from observing <laughs> your mother and had four people around your apartment in williamsburg south williamsburg to have dinner to talk about creating a plan for a better future who would those four people be Oh, okay. I made a list so I don't forget. <laughs> Umma Kulthum, she was a famous um, singer mm-hmm. uh, in Egypt. Um, she's sung about love and all, all sorts of things. Cleopatra, mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm X, and Huayda, um I always forget how to say her last name, Shoaui. Shoaui. Yeah. So she was... Um, the first woman to find um, the social, um, sorry, she was the first woman feminist Mm. in Egypt in 1879. Wow. Yeah. And she actually, it wasn't just in Egypt, she encouraged it throughout the the North Africa and the Arab continent. Yeah. So I feel like she's... She really impacted, you know, women in that time period and also talked about social reform and th- philanthropy. Um, so I, I think she was like before her time uh-huh. and before it was happening here. Wow, that would be some uh, dinner party. Yeah. So Cleopatra. Yeah. Oma Kalthum. Oma Kalthum. Yeah. Malcolm X. Yeah. And, 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 um, and Hueda. Hueda. Well, I don't think Malcolm would get a word in Edgeway somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> A bunch of women and Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Love film that one. Um, question: No one asks you, but you wish they would. Um, I don't know. I feel like everyone asks me so many different types of questions. Um, I wish people would ask me about being an athlete. 
you know, because mm-hmm. it had such a great impact on my life. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know, you know, and so it, you know, even though I was doing cross country track and field, mm-hmm. I feel like. What, what event? Uh, I was a long distance runner or the four by eight, the 800, mm-hmm. the mi- mile. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the half. Yeah. And so I feel like through being an athlete, I, I feel like I feel like I f- was able to find my real true voice uh-huh. and uh, encouraged me to become a, a, a gr- like a, a greater leader. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt it, is it, it was like a family. It's interesting that because I've, I often found when I was early part of my career, people would see that on my CV or resume yeah. and go, oh, you're not a team player. <laughs> you know, you know, because I'm a runner. It's always pigeonholing and saying that. But no, you're part of a team of oh, people. You run together. Of course. It was all and about team, especially in cross country together. too, yeah. right? Like you're, you, if you don't come close to the finish line uh-huh. together as a team, yeah. as a herd, basically, you mm. you don't place first. I know. You it, know? It's, yeah, it's it, all about team. Yeah. It always struck me as weird that, that there was a... Uh, an outdated mentality to individual sport that's not seen as having a, a team component to it. I think it's one of the m- one of the most incredible mm-hmm. um, type of athlete you can be because you have to be strong individually, mm-hmm. but also strong as a group. Yeah, because uh, to know that you are not just letting yourself down if you don't perform right. in a that's in a right. team meet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, who or what's made you reevaluate yourself? Um, wow. Who? So I, w- I was engaged at 28, and when that all fell through, um, I think that ended up I had to reevaluate who I was internally, mm. out externally, how I, s- I saw the world. What I mean, I literally dissected every part of mm. my my ethos, my world, and so I would say, you know, my ex fiance kind of indirectly caused that. Okay. Um, impossible question. What advice would you give to someone that might be about to graduate the study that's got a dream, a big ambition, um, but has been told, yeah, forget it. It's never going to happen. It's impossible. Anything is impossible when you put your mind to it. And I would just say, believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the encouragement and the love that you need is within you. Mm-hmm. Don't look outside for it. And if you think you can do it, you absolutely can do it. So just go for it and don't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And just make sure it aligns with your values and that it brings you joy. Of course, that joy question. Yeah, and it was yeah, really, but it. it's true. Yeah. You want to wake up every morning and say, I'm so excited to get out of bed to do mm-hmm. what, I, what brings me joy, what brings me love in my life. Yeah. And that you're super passionate about, about your, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, finish these questions. Um, we're coming out of lockdown. Um, (laughs) (laughs) maskless or not maskless? You're going to a karaoke bar. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, okay. Uh, well, if I'm in New York, um, it would be the New York song, (laughs) New York State of Mind. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, if you're in Cairo. If I'm in Cairo, I, I sing this. I sing this song with my niece, my cousins. Um, Nancy, Nancy Ajram mm-hmm. is a Lebanese singer, actually, and she ha- she loved this song is called Nos Nos. It means y- yes and a half, 
Um, it's like a love song. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's really rhythmic and fun. Okay. Yeah. Is it on uh, Spotify? Yeah, oh, it is on right. Spotify. We'll put it on our yeah. playlist. Um, best recent film or series that you watched during lockdown that you think someone should definitely watch? Uh, for sure, Bridgington. Bridgington, yeah, uh-huh. the film. Yeah. So sexy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love that it's, you know, it's a mixed a mixed um, cast, uh-huh. you know, um, yeah. and it, it just because it's the time period too, yeah. you know, there is all these el- beautiful African-American mm. elites, mm-hmm. you know, part of the process and it's very sexy. Everyone's gorgeous. The costumes are off the hook and the interior mm-hmm. design of all the beautiful homes or mansions. Yeah. And it was just, I was just, I, can, I had to watch it twice. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I, that's how much I loved it. I also, I was watching Girlfriends. It's uh-huh. an all-black cast from the 2000, actually. It's, uh-huh. And it's, it's an old series. But I kind of, I loved, you know, the cast was all women uh, and all black. Uh-huh. And it just talked about, you know, individuals who are, you know, in the working class. You know, one lawyer, one, you know, secretary, oh, one okay. this. And Girlfriend. so, yeah, I really, I love the dynamics. The dynamics has, and one man uh-huh. who is part of the girlfriend's group. And I just love, like, just the script and the conversation and learning about that. Yeah. It was just great. And then Blackish and Rami. Mm-hmm. Like, Rami, obviously, because it was based on a Egyptian Muslim family. Uh-huh. I know Rami. And um, he actually wrote part of the his script while he was, like, crashing at my place one night. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we're friends. And mm-hmm. he's a su- sweetheart. But I was really curious, had no idea what this thing that he was writing was about until it came out it's so funny you Amazing. never know you never know what people are working on um but also blackish because i'm i'm a biracial mm-hmm. kid even though uh-huh. my parents are egyptian my dad's you know black yeah. and um for me i've had all these things growing up conversations you know mm-hmm. that i'm more lighter skin look like more like my mother <laughs> And I feel like Blackish touches upon, you know, mm. the African-American um, family mm. that goes, you know, talks about these. You and Chantel yeah. must get on well. Yeah. Martin. Yeah. Oh, I love her. She's such yeah. a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah she is. Yeah. Um, what book would you want us to offer listeners that come up with <gasps> comments in the comment section that we like? Mm. So there's so many great books. Yeah, you got one. <laughs> but I have one. But I have one. Um, the Monk That Sold His Ferrari. Oh, the journey about going, you know, wisdom of life, his life purpose. New Yorker. Call, I, uh, what's his name? Um, I'm blanking on. Um, I met him. You met him? Yeah. <gasps> I went around to uh, in around 2012, 13. There was a thing set up called Side Side Tour mm-hmm. that was eventually bought by Groupon. They had all these interesting people yeah. do things like um famous war photographer taking on their favorite photography path in New York. Um, uh, Famous chef giving you his favorite Thanksgiving dinner. Um, And then there was one which was ex-banker turned monk. Yes. Have you around for dinner? And there were six of us went around for dinner in his East Village apartment. No way. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love the book. I love his story. And I read the book when I was um, searching for me my new me right uh-huh. after the the breakup and i was i was on a spiritual journey mm-hmm. a spiritual healing journey and i one of the first books i picked up was this book mm-hmm. and um you know shy of being 30 it was a, 
one of the greatest reads. Wow. It really kind of helped me see things in a different lens. Uh, um, final question. Who should we interview <laughs> next? Uh, okay, well, I have two people that I love. So Maysoon May Zayed, she's an actress and a comedian. Mm -hmm. She's a good friend of mine. Um, and she's just an incredible woman. And or Wola Jabrala, um, she's a policy analyst and, uh, and journalist. They're both incredible women doing incredible things in okay. their field. Well, Did no. you already interview? No, neither of them. <laughs> no, we maybe have to do both. Yeah, so. no, they're both incredible, incredible ladies, and they have an. In they both have mm -hmm. interesting, um, interesting stories and interesting challenges. So I think both would be incredible. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we'll follow up after the interview's live. We always wait till the interview's live so they can hear it, and then we <clears throat> ask for the invite. So, um, well, Sarah, just to thank you and wrap up, um, just usually acknowledge you for the amazing work that our guests our guests do. We acknowledge them for it. What really struck me is um, that came through that I didn't expect was just this uh, um, nonconformity in everything that you don't stand for conventional ways of thinking. Um, your social conscience that's clear and, and really striking and your boundary-breaking mentality um, and comfort, seemingly comfort with discomfort as well um, and uncertainty. We had a guest recently talked to us about this word liminality of being mm -hmm. in a place in between mm -hmm. and being comfortable in that place of not being either mm -hmm. here or there. That's right. And that seems to be sort of, you, you seem to fit that. Um, and your fortitude in the face of you know um this challenging times and and um i think your sort of voracious appetite for learning i love learning as, as well which yeah. is just um reassuring to meet someone with that voracious appetite so yeah we just uh wish you all the best and look forward to seeing how you're going to re-engineer and redesign spaces and reimagine cities and spaces for the future thank you i'm excited too it is very exciting and i time. always tell people don't don't stop learning no matter where you are in your life and no mm. matter what age you are learning is a constant thing yeah and much needed thing as well 100 percent. yeah so i'm excited to meet all all the individuals who we spoke about today <laughs> good all right then well <laughs> thank thanks you very again. much okay. thank you okay that's all for this week folks if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate, recommend, or review, depending on where you listen. And if you have someone you'd like us to interview, just DM us on Instagram at The Impossible Network or email us at info at theimpossiblenetwork.com. And please give our other podcast, The Raw Hospitality Show, a listen. They are both Fabrica Collective Productions. See you next time.